had a uh, famous pastor walk up to me uh, many, many years ago, and uh, I didn't realize the motive or the reason why he was asking me this question until after I answered it. But he said, uh, Carl, do you have a, a favorite theme that you minister on uh, from Scripture? And I said, yeah, my favorite topic is Jesus. Isn't that always the right answer, <laughs> Jesus? And uh, what I didn't realize was he was asking, really, is there some area that you specialize in, like leadership or finances, like Dave Ramsey, or, or on faith or healing, or many of the other wonderful topics in Scripture? And really, the favorite topic, the favorite theme for me to teach or preach upon uh, is, is Jesus. Because I, I feel like I know him, right? We know him. Uh, I, I preach about Moses and David and Paul, but I don't know them. But I know Jesus. And if you're saved, you know Jesus because he lives inside of your heart. So really, there's, there's no theme that I have the privilege of preaching on every year than, than that of, of our Lord. And to talk about his life and the amazing aspects of his life and who he is. And so this series that we're just starting this weekend, uh, I'm, I'm thrilled about. I've entitled it, Jesus Did What? Really? <laughs> he did what? Uh, extraordinary lessons from no ordinary life. And this first message in this series, you know, leading up to Palm Sunday and, and uh, Easter celebration, Holy Week is that Jesus would do some outlandish things. At times, he would say and he would do outrageous things, even perhaps scandalous and shocking things. In my daily devotional reading through Scripture this morning, a few hours, four or five hours ago, uh, I was reading in John's Gospel. And in chapter 6, he was talking about how you know, he, he, he multiplied the bread and fish and fed the hungry and multiplied. And then he talks about in chapter 6 how he's the bread of life. And then he's talking, and he realizes that, that the, the questions that they were asking him were not with the right motive, these religious leaders. And so he began to say, well, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no part in me. Now, we take Jesus seriously, but we don't take him literally. He didn't literally mean eat my physical flesh and drink my, my physical blood. But the people that day heard him that way, interpreted him that way, and it says in John 6, 66, John chapter 6, verse 66, many of his disciples left, departed, and followed him no more. It's as though at times Jesus would say things intentionally to offend people. He would do things that are mind-boggling. For example, on several occasions, we're going to look at him in the message today, on several occasions, Jesus would spit on people to heal them. That's a new one. What if I said after church, those of you that need prayer, we're gonna, I'm going to have you come up to the altar, and I'm just going to be like Jesus. I'm going to spit on you. Let's see what happens, right? How many takers would we have? No, thank you. But the reason this series is important, because look at 1 John chapter 2, verse 6. This is going to be your memory verse over the next several, several weeks. Let's read it out loud. Anyone who says he is a Christian should live as Christ did. That's not hard to memorize. Anyone who lives as a Christian says they're a Christian. You can, anybody, anybody could say it, but there's something you have to do. We should strive in life to be more like Christ. You see, every husband in here deserves his wife to be more like Christ. Every wife in here deserves her husband to be more like Christ. Every young person who will one day get married, that person that you will one day marry, they deserve you each and every day to become more like Christ. 
As I read it this morning in the Gospel of John, you know, John the Baptist, I must decrease and, and he must increase. That's what it really is all about. That's what this series is about. But because Jesus would sometimes both say and do outrageous things, maybe that's why Jesus said in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 11, verse 6, and blessed is he who's not offended because of me. You see, if Jesus were alive in the flesh today, and you and I were following Jesus every day, as the apostles did, and as many people did from city to city, town to town, village to village, and the apostles did for three plus years, there would definitely be times along the way in our journey with Jesus where we would potentially have the opportunity to be offended at him. Even one of his own apostles got offended because it seemed at times as though Jesus was even wasteful when he allowed a woman to pour expensive perfume over him worth a year's wages. And Judas, Judas said, what a waste. Even John the Baptist, his own cousin, God bless John, he was willing to give up his life for preaching the truth and telling Herod that being married to Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, was unlawful. He ended up getting his head chopped off. But before that happened, John had a momentary doubt. He said, I just need to know, is Jesus the Messiah? Is he the one? Why? Because he was doing things and saying things that they didn't expect. Sometimes the things we want Jesus to do, he doesn't do. The things we don't want Jesus to do, he does do. Or the things we want him to do when we want him to do, he doesn't do it when we want him to do it. And there's opportunity, opportunity to be offended. So let's look at the three examples of Scripture where Jesus used spit. Jesus did what? Where Jesus used spit to heal somebody. The first one is in Mark's Gospel, chapter 7, beginning in verse 32. It says, a deaf man with a speech impediment was brought to him, to Jesus. And the people begged Jesus to lay his hands on the man to heal him. Jesus led him away from the crowd so they could be alone. And he put his fingers into the man's ears. Can I get a volunteer to demonstrate this? Uh, okay, I didn't think so. And then, spitting on his own fingers, he touched the man's tongue. Are you kidding me? And then looking up to heaven, he sighed and said, Ephrathah, which means be open. Instantly, the man could hear perfectly, and his tongue was freed so that he could speak plainly. Ah, what an amazing miracle. It's not the means, it's the end, the means to the end that, that really ultimately matters. The man was healed. The means to get there was unorthodox, to say the least, potentially outrageous for a Jewish rabbi to be spitting on someone to bring about healing. There are many interesting facts to this miracle. And one of them is, we read in verse 34 that before Jesus healed this man, he looked up to heaven and he sighed. Why? Jesus, everyone, I, I feel bad for those that don't have a heaven to look up to yet. Because they don't believe in God or they don't believe in heaven. But everyone needs a heaven to look up to. Because you see, as Jesus looked up to heaven, he was looking at the way things should be, ought to be, and one day will be. But then he looked back down and he saw reality as it is. And he sighed. He grieved. We look up to heaven and we see the, the way things should be, ought to be, will one day be. No sin, no sorrow, no sickness, no disease, no crime, no hatred, no racism, no prejudice, no perversion. 
Heaven, a perfect place. But then we look back down to earth and we see earth as it is and we sigh. It means that Jesus was grieved because he saw this man, deaf and dumb. That's not the way God intended. But we live in a broken, fallen world. Thank God there's a Savior that knows how to bring healing and to bring comfort. But I hope you have a heaven to look up to. To see the way things ought to be, should be, and will one day be. And that will give you the ability to have hope in this real world, this fallen world, this broken world that we live in today. But like in this miracle, we're like this man. We need our spiritual ears to be open and we need our spiritual tongues to be loosed. It's God's desire that all of us could, could hear clearly and speak plainly. To hear clearly. Jesus said, my, my sheep hear my voice and the voice of a stranger they will not follow. We all need to do a better job in, being able to hear from God and hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches in the world today, the body of Christ in the world today. To be able to hear perfectly and speak plainly. I wish more preachers, more pastors would hear clearly what the Spirit is saying and speak more plainly from the pulpits in America today. Jesus wants us to hear perfectly and he wants us to speak plainly. And that was the end result. But the means to the end, a little unorthodox. The use of his saliva. Here's the next example. Same gospel, Mark chapter 8, beginning in verse 22. When they arrived at Bethsaida, some people brought a blind man to Jesus. Now we know you need to bring a blind man to Jesus because he can't see. He can't find Jesus on his own, right? So thank God for these people that brought this blind man to Jesus. And, and we're like the people in this story. There are those that are spiritually blind. And we need to bring them to Jesus. It's our responsibility. Those of us that were once lost but now we're found. Once we were blind but now we see amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch. Like me, it's our responsibility to bring those who are spiritually blind. It's, it's somebody brought you. Now it's our turn to bring those who are spiritually blind to Jesus. This guy was literally physically blind. And they begged him to touch the man and heal him. Notice, touch the man and heal him. No funny stuff, Jesus. Just needs you to touch him and we know he'll be healed. Maybe they heard about the other guy, right? And Jesus took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village... Then, spitting on the man's eyes, he laid his hands on him and asked, can you see anything now? Kind of sounds like a commercial, can you see anything now? And the man looked around, yes, he said, I see people, but I can't see them very clearly. They look like trees walking around. Then Jesus placed his hands on the man's eyes again. Everybody say again. Let me tell you something, we don't just need one touch from Jesus in our life, we need his touch again and again and again and again and again. Come on somebody. And his eyes were open, his sight was completely restored and he could see everything clearly. That's really the goal in life, isn't it? To be able to see everything clearly. Some people say, well, why did it take... Jesus praying for this guy twice. Did the, the first prayer not work? No. The first prayer gave this man his sight. The second prayer gave this man his vision. You see, there are those that see but can't see because they're spiritually blind. There are those that can't see 
physically, but they can see spiritually. They may not have sight, but they have vision. Better to be without sight than to be without a vision. But God's desire is for us to have both sight and vision. To be able to see and to know what you're seeing, discern what you're seeing, and to have a vision. I, I, my heart breaks for those who have no vision. Though they have sight, but they have no vision. The Bible says in the book of Proverbs 29, without a vision, the people perish. The people begin to, to live carelessly and recklessly. When a young man or a young woman or an individual has sight but no vision, not only does the Lord want to give you sight, but he wants to give you a vision. This man's sight and vision was restored. But once again, how did it happen? Through spitting. He used his saliva. What does this mean? Why? Of all the things he could have used, the methods he could have employed, why spitting? You know, really, spitting is the most contemptible thing that you can really do. Many Asian countries, it's a, it, there are, it, there's a criminal penalty to spitting in public. Five U.S. states on the books have laws against public spitting. Matter of fact, in the book of Deuteronomy, you can look this up for yourself later, but in Deuteronomy chapter 25, it, it, spitting is the greatest sign of shame and contempt. And in Deuteronomy 25, God, in the law of God, in the Old Testament, he required something. If a woman's husband died without giving, without having an heir, if a man died before she had a child, a son, it became the responsibility of that dead man's brother to marry her, even if he was already married, to marry her and to give his dead brother an heir. The first child born in this union was to be dedicated as the heir of his dead brother. And in Deuteronomy 25, it says, if a man is unwilling to, to do, perform that duty for his dead, deceased brother now, he's unwilling to do that, the woman, the widow, is to take that, her brother-in-law basically, before the elders of the city, take off his shoes, shake off the dust in contempt, and spit in his face. Ouch. <laughs> wow. You know, it says in Isaiah chapter 50, verse 6, Isaiah prophesying about the Messiah that would one day come. It says that he did not hide his face from mockery and spitting. Imagine the God that created all things came to us in the form of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. He came into his own, his own received him not. But as he came into his own, people showed the greatest sign of contempt towards him by spitting in his face. The religious leaders who tried Jesus before taking him to Pilate in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 26, verse 67, they spit in his face. Are you kidding me? The soldiers that mocked Jesus before his crucifixion, they, they spat upon him. Matthew 27 and verse, verse 30, the greatest sign of shame and contempt. It's almost, well, it is. <laughs> you know, spitting is, is offensive to all of us. And yet, Jesus chose, in his sovereign wisdom, to employ this in bringing about these healings. You know, uh, the joy of marriage and uh, the eventual birth of children is the result of what? That first kiss that a couple share together. Those of you that are married, do you remember your first kiss? USA Today, a few years back, they, they did some research. And they ran a story about kissing. And they said, in a French kiss, you actually swap more than spit. A kiss is just a kiss, except when it's a major bacteria conduit. The story read. 
A new study published takes a look at what happens when we kiss intimately and finds that 10 seconds of passion can result in the transfer of up to 80 million bacteria. I'm going to be like, Gloria, let's just shake hands. How about a hug? Amen. <laughs> now I'll take all your bacteria. Just yours, though. That's it. That's why I've never believed in kissing dogs. I'm, I'm not judging anyone. I'm not judging anyone. But that dog, don't get that. Don't get your mouth near my mouth, dog. That ain't going to happen. <laughs> Imagine God created all things, comes to the earth. And what does he get in return? Of healing our sick, raising our dead, unstopping the deaf ears, opening the eyes of blind, setting people free from demons, preaching to us the kingdom of God. What did he get in return? They spit. We, we, humanity. We spit in his face. I, I hope to God, none of us in here if we were alive during the time of Christ, we would have been one of those. In the name of religion, I can understand the Roman soldiers who were pagan and godless, but the religious leaders? You shouldn't want to do that to your worst enemy, much less to the living Lord and, and Savior. But you know what? Sometimes out of insult can come insight. The last example of someone healed by Jesus' spit is in John's Gospel, chapter 9, verse 6 and verse 7. It says, then he, he spit on the ground and he made mud with the saliva. Could you imagine being there that day? Here's a blind man, born blind, needs a healing. They bring him to Jesus. And Jesus gets down and grabs some of that dirty dirt there in the Holy Land and begins to spit in it. And people are watching like, what is he doing? And he makes mud, and then he patches it on the guy's eyes. And then he tells him, go wash yourself on the pool of Siloam, which means scent. So the man went and washed. It's the end result that matters. And he came back seeing. What a miracle. What does this all mean? What does it all represent? Well, it takes us back to Genesis chapter 2, verse 7. Because in Genesis chapter 2, verse 7... It says, the Lord God formed man from the dust of the earth, and then he blew the breath of life into his nostrils, and the man became a living being. But now this is God in human form, and he's taking that same dust of the earth, earth and water, earth and water. You see, the blood of Jesus was not just your normal everyday blood. It was the very blood of God. And even the saliva of Jesus was not your ordinary saliva. It represented the water of life. I'd be like, Jesus, spit on me all day. Amen. Let it come. <laughs> because this was holy spit, if there is such a thing. This was Jesus taking the dust from which man, this man was created, and the water of life, mixing it together, placing it on his eyes. But then he had to do something. He had to go and wash it out. Wash it out. From mud, man was made. From mud, this man was healed. Wow. Astounding. But each of these instances, Jesus used spit to bring about greater clarity. To bring about greater understanding. To bring about a greater vision. 
Hey, I believe Jesus is still spitting. I think he's still spitting in the eye of the self-righteous in our world. In the eye of the, the selfie world that we live in. That Jesus is still spitting in the eye of man-made traditions that nullify the word of God for the sake of their traditions. I believe that Jesus is still spitting in the eye of prejudice. He's still spitting in the eye of racism. He's still spitting in the eye of anti-Semitism. But his spit can make us better. His spit can make us see more clearly. To see what God wants us to see. And maybe these stories are in the Bible and the methods that Jesus employed in, are in the Bible because God is teaching us something about mud and spit theology. What is mud and spit theology? Well, listen, if we want to follow Jesus and if we want to be like Jesus and if you say you're a Christian, you should live as Christ lived, maybe God wants us to dedicate our lives to help people to see more clearly. And in so doing, we're going to have to get a little dirty. We're going to have to get down in the mud sometimes with others. Why? Because helping others is messy work. Those of you that are involved in counseling work, you know working with others and trying to untangle the complexity of another person's life, it's messy work, but it's necessary work. Those of you involved in education, freeing the mind of ignorance is messy work, but it's important work. Discipleship, coming alongside of somebody, walking out, their, working out their salvation with fear and trembling and walking out that salvation. Discipleship is messy work, but it's worth it. And we have to be willing to get down in dirty mud and spit theology to help people come to the full realization of all they can do and all they can be in Christ Jesus. Addiction recovery is messy work, but it's necessary work. And it takes men and women that are willing to get down in the mud, in the muck, in the mire, in the dirt, in the, in the, in the dirt of the lives of others to help bring about healing. Marriage, restoration is messy work, but it's worthy work. Parenting <laughs> is messy work. Those newborn babies, they got stuff coming out of every opening in their body. <laughs> but it's necessary work. You see, we say cleanliness is next to godliness, and no, that's not a scripture in the Bible, but it is based on biblical truth. But perhaps a better saying is messiness is next to godliness. That as Christ followers, we have to be willing to get dirty. We have to be willing to get messy. Making mud pies with spittle and placing on people's eyes, that's messy work. That's some dirty work. But thank God that we serve a Savior that was willing to get down in the trenches, in the lives of others, to help lift them up. And maybe the saying is true, if, you're, if your hands are clean, maybe your heart is dirty. But if your hands are dirty, maybe your heart is clean. On occasion, they... The religious leaders accused Jesus and his disciples of, of eating with dirty hands. And he said, it's not what goes into a man that makes him unclean. It's what comes out of a man that makes him unclean. He said, you hypocrites. You wash the outside of the cup, but the inside is left dirty. You're like whitewashed tombs. You look so good on the outside, but on the inside, you're full of dead men's bones. Jesus would look up to heaven the way things ought to be, and he would look to earth to the, see the way things are, and he would sigh, and he would grieve that it doesn't have to be this way. It doesn't have to be this way. You know, everyone has a little dirt on them, right? Just jump on Facebook, you'll probably find out what it is. <laughs> a lot of it's fake news, made-up stuff. Everyone has a little dirt on them. Every family in here has some dirty laundry. 
don't look at me as so holier than thou. Don't look at me as though you're guiltless. Not me. You're the worst among us, probably. <laughs> More to hide, probably. But we can't go through life as mudslingers. Oh, so many mudslingers, right, in the world today. So many mudslingers in the body of Christ today. Yeah, it's easy to sling mud at others. But remember, when you and I are slinging mud at others, we're losing ground. Oh, come on, that was better than that response. <laughs> we can't be busy throwing mud at one another. We lose ground that way. Everyone has a little bit of dirt on them. Everybody, everybody has some, some dirty laundry. We don't need to be mud slingers. We need to be mud washers. Yeah. People need to know that they can come to church and they can come with their dirt. They can come with their muck. They can come with their mire. And we'll bring them to the pool of Siloam and we'll let them wash that mud away by the power of the washing of the water of the word of God and the spirit of God and the grace of God. Sometimes we have to get dirty to live clean. I'm going to say that again. Sometimes we have to be willing to get dirty to live clean. In my studies, I came across a verse. I want to show you here in just a moment. And I, I, I'm blown away because I've read through the Bible dozens and dozens of times. And I don't ever remember reading this verse. Definitely not in the light of what we're talking about today. But look at the book of Isaiah chapter 47 and verse 1. And I want you to read the first part of this verse with me. Here we go. Go sit in the dirt that's a sermon I could have a whole sermon on sit in the dirt when was the last time that you sat in the dirt maybe you need to revert back to your childhood days and find a good mud hole somewhere and just plop yourself down in it you think life's really bad well start looking at life from the perspective of a sandbox or a dirt uh, box or a mud hole somewhere all of a sudden things may begin to clear up for us right Sometimes it, it takes a little washing away of the mud to begin to see things more clearly. And, and Isaiah's prophesying, he says, virgin princess of Babylon, sit on the ground, not on a throne. Princes of the Babylonians, you will no longer be called soft and delicate. You see, we get a better perspective about our life and a better perspective of the lives of others when we're willing to get off of our high horses get off of our thrones in life that we erect and establish and get down in the dirt with others. David, in the Old Testament, King David was hungrier for God when he was covered with dirt, sweat, and blood from battle than, he, when, than when he was clean and bathed and seated upon a throne in Israel. Go sit in the dirt. Powerful word, Isaiah. A powerful word to remind us today that we need to sometimes get dirty to, be, to live clean. Sit in the dirt. I thank God for all the dirt sitters here at Trinity Church. Amen. Those of you that sit in the dirt with those that are sick and hurting and bringing about healing and restoration. Those of you that, that sit in the dirt with kids in kids' place. Those of you that, that sit in the dirt with the different ministry opportunities. And, and those of you through life, based on your calling and profession, you're willing to sit in the dirt in wanting to help others. God bless you. I think of Heidi Baker. She's an American missionary. Heidi and her husband earned their PhDs, and then they felt called by God to go sit in the dirt in Mozambique. Her and her husband arrived in Mozambique, and they went to the dump in Mozambique. And years later, here's the result. 7,000 orphans from the dump 
have now been adopted and 6,000 pastors trained and raised up. Thank God for people that are willing to sit in the dark. Perhaps a good church rubs mud in our eyes to help us see better. You see, Jesus is the perfect Savior because Jesus is a dirty Savior. Dirty in the sense that he was born with animals and he died with criminals. And in between, he was willing to get down in the dirt and the muck and the mire of other people's lives to bring about life transformation. What a wonderful Savior we get to serve. You know the story in John chapter 8, a woman caught in the very act of adultery. The law required her to be stoned. But now Jesus came not with the law, but grace and truth. Grace and truth. We need both. We need both. And when they challenged Jesus, he got down in the dirt, remember? And he began to write and scribble. We don't know what. But when he got up, her accusers were gone. And he said, where are your accusers? She said, I have none, Lord. And he said, neither do I accuse you. Go and sin no more. Go and sin no more. He's willing to get down in the dirt to help lift another person's life up. What a wonderful Savior that we serve. A Savior willing to get dirty, touching the unclean things of this world to make the sparkling, to make us sparkling clean before God. A Savior who fell on the Via Dolorosa, fell under the weight of the cross, fell in the dust and the dirt, the sweat and the blood packed on with dirt. A Savior nailed to a cross who's willing to get dirty that he might bring us back to God. Who would ever want to spit in the face of a Savior like that? It's amazing, his life. It's amazing that Jesus was willing to touch lepers, which was no-no, which was taboo, which was against the Old Testament law. They were unclean, but a leper came. If you're, you're willing, you can make me clean. And Jesus touched him and said, I'm willing, be thou made clean. Jesus did what? The outlandish, outrageous, shocking, and even scandalous things that Jesus said and Jesus did. But you and I are commanded in Scripture to kiss the Son. Psalm 2, kiss the Son, which is an act of devotion and worship. But not the way Judas did. A kiss of betrayal. But a kiss of love. But I would be remiss to end this message and not share with you the final instance in Scripture that records Jesus spitting. The final reference to Jesus spitting, you, you know where it's at, don't you? Now that I've mentioned it, the book of Revelation. Chapter 3, verse 16. But since you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Oh, that kills me. To be spit out of the mouth of Jesus. How many of us know that Rarely do you spit things out of your mouth. But if you eat something or you put something in your mouth and it's like, whoa, this does not agree with me. This is rancid. This is whatever. The only things we spit out of the mouth are the things that make us sick. Can I submit to you today, nothing makes Jesus more sick than a lukewarm Christian. Because we serve anything but a lukewarm Savior, right? So he says, simply, it makes sense, very rational and logical. I would that you were either cold or hot, one or the other. The word cold, you get the Greek word, it's the Greek word nekros. And it, and it doesn't mean 
less alive, this, this word in the Greek, it doesn't mean to grow cold. This word actually means to be stone cold dead. I wish you were either stone cold dead or the word hot is the Greek word zestos. And it means at a boiling point. It comes from the word zeo, which means to boil or seethe. Hey, after all Jesus has done for us, after all that he's done for you, after all he's done for me, after all that he's currently doing for us, seated at the right hand of the Father, we ever liveth to make intercession for us, for all that he's about to do for you, for me, throughout eternity. How about we kiss the sun? How about we love him? How about we say no to lukewarmness and we say no to coldness and we reach a spiritual boiling point as a church, a spiritual boiling point in our own walk with Jesus. Like, you know, Carl, there was a time I, I think I was at that boiling point, but, but not anymore. You can get back there. A broken reed, he doesn't break off. A smoldering wick, he doesn't snuff out. He'll, he'll turn up the heat. And as a church, and we're not the only one in town, but we don't want to be known as a, as a lukewarm church. And so every church, like this church, we need every weekend, we need to turn up the heat a little bit. Amen. Turn to your neighbor and say, come on, turn up the heat. Right? Turn up the heat. And I know, I hear my wife saying, yes, Carl, literally, because it's freezing in here. I feel you ladies, okay? But this auditorium wasn't made for this, you know, like the air comes in one area, boom, boom, you know, so, hey, just bring a sweater, amen. It's going to be better in there. Three months and counting, praise God. But man, we need, to, we need to make sure that we're reaching a spiritual boiling point in our own lives. And we have to be willing and serving Jesus to be like him, to go sit in the dirt, to get down in the muck and the mire, to make some spiritual mud pies ourselves. Because sometimes the Lord needs to remove the mud from our eyes as we wash so we can begin to see more clearly. To see more clearly who God is in your life. To see more clearly how God is at work in your life. And to see more clearly how God is at work in the lives of others. I hope you can hear perfectly, I hope you can speak plainly, and I hope you can see clearly. Because when we come in contact with Jesus, he's still bringing about healing and miracles in the lives of people. Every head bowed, every eye closed, Father, we humbly come before you and we say, Lord, what are you speaking into my life today from this message? What do I need? What's my take home? Holy Spirit, help me to apply it to my life and by the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ to live it out so I could become more like Jesus. Heads bowed and eyes closed if you're here today and you need to rededicate your life to Christ. Today's the day, now's the time. If you're here and you've never surrendered your life to Jesus, Jesus said unless you're born again, you cannot inherit the kingdom of heaven. You see, Jesus today is standing at the door of your heart knocking and if you will hear his voice and open up the door of your heart, he'll come into you and have fellowship with you and you can have fellowship with him. So with heads bowed, eyes closed, and those of you in the chapel, heads bowed, eyes closed, watching live video streaming, I'm going to lead you in a prayer. I'm going to
going to ask you to pray this prayer out loud. Say it with your own mouth. Mean it from your own heart if you need to either rededicate your life to Christ or you want to surrender your life over to Christ. Here we go. Dear God in heaven, I know I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. There's only one Savior. His name is Jesus. I call upon you, Jesus. I ask you now, come into my heart. Come into my life. Be my Lord. Be my Savior. I turn from sin to the true and living God. I receive his love, his grace, and his forgiveness. Dear God in heaven, you're now my father, and I am your child. Fill me now with your Holy Spirit. Give me strength to live for you, to serve you all the days of my life, beginning today for the rest of eternity. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Can we thank the Lord together, church family?